This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Spurs Show is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. Get your Spurs Show season ticket and be at our next event. Go to season.spurshow.net. We're here. This is the very special recording Lovely. tonight. Uh, joining me this evening, we have the voice. Just the voice. Mr. Paul Coit is here. Thank you. All the way from Australia, that, making man? a second appearance on the Spurs Show podcast, Mr. David Harris. We're finding a man that most, well, I think everyone in the room tonight is here to hear from, and we're going to be discussing the greatest football book probably ever written, The Glory Game. Please welcome Mr. Hunter Davis. <laughs> Firstly, just to remind you, this season we are backed by Labrooks, who are giving us, all listeners, a free bet uh, deposit £5 and get a £20 free bet. All you've got to do is go to bet.spurshow.net. Hunter, the, the first question we have for you was growing up, um, I've done my research, and tell me if this is completely wrong. So your you, first team growing you up. You knew I grew up. You knew, you knew, well, uh, you grew up. I was born. I knew you were born <laughs> and you did grow up. And I believe I'm that your first team that you supported was the wonderful Scottish team, Queen of the South. One of the greatest names for any football club. Mm. Queen, is that, is that right? Where do they play? Then Where I do know. they still play? Where does Queen of the South play? Dumfries. What? I know, the name of the ground. The ground. Name, name of the ground. Parkston Park. There we are, Hoxton Park. There we are. So Queen of the South. I and thought I, I was meeting football fans this evening. <laughs> well, Spurs <laughs> fans. <laughs> Not Scottish second right, division fans and then when did you when did you and your family move down to Carlisle which obviously became your team then I was born in Scotland yeah. and we moved back and forward this was during the war and my dad was in the RAF and we ended up in Carlisle mm-hmm. well, my parents who were Scottish always pronounced it as Carlisle and we read the Scottish Daily Express and the Sunday Post mm-hmm. so when I was in Dumfries I followed Queen of the South when I was with my maternal grandparents in Glasgow, I followed Rangers and my first game ever was going to Rangers, one of my uncles took me who had no interest in football whatsoever (laughs) growing up in Carlisle I followed Carlisle United and the most amazing thing happened to Carlisle United in 1972 can you remember? they got into the first division in my house up the road I have a framed copy of the Cumberland Evening News with the massive headlines. We're in the first division. It's a photograph of John Gorman. Remember John Gorman? Yeah. He played for Spurs. He played for Carlisle United at the time and became Glenn's dog's body. Assistant manager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and on this front page, the only other story in photograph is me going through Carlisle. 
And I'm so, so I follow, I've always followed Colorado. Were so they I, top for a while? Didn't they win their first couple of games in that they season? They were top. The first, oh, three games? They, they won the first three games. Yeah. And they were top of the league and went down. <laughs> How did you know? I just know these things. Yeah. I'm like Rain Man. <laughs> Certain things so stay I, with me. I came to London <laughs> in 1960. Right. And we moved into the house we've got in 1963. And I thought, I can't go to Brunton Park every weekend. It's too far. I must have a football team because I was passionate and all... My whole childhood was glued to the radio, listening to Scotland, England, desperate for Scotland to win. And of course, the radio in those days was put into a, a plug high up, and there was only one radio, and you thought, we're all going to die or blow up. I thought, when we moved into an NW5, I was equidistant between Spurs and Arsenal, mm-hmm. and this is the 1960. So I could have chosen either team. And I chose Spurs for fashionable, contemporary reasons. They were this smart team. They were about to win the league. And so I used to go every week. I even took my wife at the time and would arrive at White Hart Lane and I would say, you must see Jimmy Greaves. He will not move. Just watch him, because it'd be so easy. He won't move, but he'll score a goal, because he hung around. So what, get... so what was the story? So, so what was that first thing? You mentioned Greaves. I can't remember the game. But was it, no, but was it 60 or 61? Was it pre-double? It was, or? it was pre... It was the year before the double. Right. And when we got to White Hart Lane in the early 60s, there'd be signs up saying, Stadium full. And my wife would say, let's go home. I said, don't be daft. And we'd go around all the turnstiles. I said, we'll get in at one of these turnstiles. And we always did. And this was a, mor- this was a, a philosophical difference between us. Because I never give up. I always believe I'll have a go. When people say, that's a stupid article, that's a rubbish idea for a book, I'll think of another one. She gave up quickly if people didn't like it. So we went and we saw the double... And then I had a, a season ticket. And then in the 1970s, when I was working on the Sunday Times, I thought, I'll be on to the glory game now. Yes? You're, you're great. Uh, you, what was the I question? don't need to really ask you a question. <laughs> You've done this before. The question was, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Can I just stop you? Are you Do you mind you? if I just jump in? Yeah. At what point, though... Yeah. From, from so going I, along to so suppose, I, do you suddenly feel it that I am a true Tottenham yeah. fan? So when I, does that I, happen? 99% of football fans are A, they've inherited it through their family yep. or through their environment because they were brought up in that area. There's a small percentage that loves Brecon City because they once passed through it on the train and they follow Brecon City for really stupid reasons. There's another large percentage of people, and you can tell their age. If people age, age 50 in Germany say my favourite team is Liverpool, sorry, I know they're 50. So it's the period in which you're brought up when you're young. So Man United has, has a massive following because they were successful for so long when kids are growing up and they don't inherit and a legion, they follow the fashionable, trendy club. Nobody follows Arsenal because they haven't been trendy for decades. So I have to admit, I picked Spurs for dodgy, specious reasons. I mean, before, way, before a, the glory, sorry, just, just, yeah. sorry, before the book then, had you written anything about Spurs, any articles about, I now go to White Hart Lane with my wife, any kind of no. build-up to the book? I was the, I ran a column called Atticus, and I was so proud to be in charge of Atticus, which is still going today, but it was a huge column. And I was the boy on Atticus, this is the Sunday Times, and year after year, I never became the boss. A, because my passion, I had to write about who will be the next Archbishop of Canterbury. (laughs) Who will be our new ambassador in Washington? (laughs) Who will be whatever? And I was bored, rigid, having to do it. What I wanted to do was interview footballers, photographers, gritty northern novelists, and pop stars. And it 
only happened in 1964 that I took over the column and everything, the 60s did not begin until 1964 and I went straight off and interviewed Georgie Best and he said I'm not drinking, he was living in digs and he told me how he's in awe of Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law but they didn't really speak to him because they had wives and went home and he was in digs and I went to see him and he said his ambition is to be a millionaire and he, you know, he then, he'd run away. Then I interviewed all these other people. And then I thought of this idea. Then I actually became woman's editor. And I sent Molly Parkin, who was our star fashion editor, to interview Cyril Knowles. <laughs> I thought, nice one, Cyril. Nice one. Yeah. I thought it'd be lovely to have a fashion spread, if he agrees to it, of Cyril at home with his wife and children. And we did this beautiful picture. And Molly went to see him, knowing bugger all about football, and she couldn't type either. So she came up. So that was a, a connection with Spurs. And then I thought, I actually left the Sunday Times and was doing half a year on, and I was doing books and I'd done the I'd done the, the Beatles biography so I could do anything I'd done a novel which became a Hollywood film and my wife did a novel, Georgia Girl which became a Hollywood film so I was a dilettante here we go around the mulberry bushes that's right, right. but I loved journalism if I'd been a plumber I would have gone back to plumbing yeah. And so I went back to journalism and I thought because I was following Spurs I thought I'll do a year in the life of a football team. And Brian Glanville, have you heard of Brian Glanville? Of course, yeah. yeah. He is the, I can't pronounce it, doyen of football reporting. And I said, I've got this idea of a year in the life of a football team. And I want to do Spurs because that's my team. And Brian said, you've got no chance. Sidney Well, the chairman, is a stiff, boring, middle-class, pompous person. Bill Nicholson is a dirt Yorkshireman. You've got no chance. So I hate to admit this. I then wrote to Arsenal. I then wrote to Chelsea because Spurs is my team. But actually, I love all football. I watch every live. I'm so disappointed to be here this evening, honestly. <laughs> You're missing Huddersfield West Ham. I was looking forward to I watch everything that moves. I've got... <laughs> and... I got no reply from Arsenal. I saw the, Mears, the head of the Mears family. And I told him my idea is to follow a team from the inside. And he never replied. We got on well. And I thought, I've got to. This is disgusting, writing into teams I don't really like. <laughs> so I then decided to take advantage of my Sunday Times position, because I was the chief feature writer. And I said to the editor... I'd like to do a feature about Spurs. So I used my Sunday Times connection to do a piece about Spurs. So I did an interview with them, met the players, and did a little two-part series about the life at Tottenham Hotspur. Nobody complained. Nobody said it's rubbish. Nobody said I'd stitch them up. So I thought this was a sort of grooming for the book. Was this, was this the magazine? Was this the Sunday Times magazine? Did this come out before the Glory Game? No, it came out before the Glory right. Game. Does anyone it, remember that before the Glory Game? Does any Rules fan here remember it was seeing the, that article? It was in the newspaper. Yeah, get it on eBay. Oh, I see, because you can still pick those up now. It was in the newspaper. Right. And so I thought I would devote my whole of the next year to doing a Spurs if I can get permission. So I can't Sydney Well, by saying him, Bill Nick's got no objections. And I talked to Bill Nick and I said to Bill Nick, Sydney Well has got no objections. <laughs> <laughs> and neither protested. Amazing, isn't it? I then went along with pre season and I went on the coach with the, at White Hart Lane with the apprentices and described, and that became my beginning of these young lads like Harry Kane, who were going to... 
And I spent the whole of pre-season going every day there. And eventually, Bill Nicholson threw me a Spurs top. You can't believe this, can you? No. And said, instead of hanging around, make yourself useful. So I went on a run with them. It's in the book. It's the first chapter. It's in the book, yeah. And then I went on the showers with them. And then the next few days, I was standing there. I was only 30 at the time, and I was still playing football in Dartmouth Park United. Paul, have you commented on Dartmouth Park no, United? No, no, no. And so I could stand there when they were doing boring things, passing the ball back. And I spent the whole season in the dressing room, in meetings. I went to all their homes, and I never had a contract with them. You heard me talking earlier about Wayne Rooney. And going to see Wayne Rooney and all these people with him, I said to all the players... uh, I'm going to do this book, and I will uh, give you 50% of all proceeds because I'm doing this out of love. And I said that to the 17 members of the first team pool, and to Bill Nick, and to Eddie Bailey. When I, and I got a con- I got a c- advance of 3,000 pounds from my publisher, who was still one of my publishers, who was a very distinguished publisher, Feidenfeld and Nichols, and I got 3,000 pounds. When I told my agent that I agreed, nothing. <laughs> I wrote to old 19 saying, just to confirm my conversation, I will give between you 50% of everything I earn. And my agent went spare. It meant that every penny it came in, you had to divide it in half and then to divide you by 19 people. What admin. <laughs> so it was all word of mouth. Nothing, none of them had a lawyer, none of them had an agent, none of them had uh, an accountant. Uh, you could, they were only getting 200 pounds a week. They were living in semis, even the superstars like Martin Chivers and Martin Peters and Alan Murray, who are all England stars. They were living in semi-detached houses in boring suburban, I'm being prejudiced here, next to bank managers and salesmen, not like today. If I've been to Rooney's house, and of course you can't believe it. It's all, you can't believe it was only 40 years ago. So I spent the whole year with them. I remember a row in the dressing room once, in which, I can't remember the game, but cups were actually flying, but not really. It was like Fergie kicked a boot at David Beckham and it hit him. He didn't really mean to do that. And Bill Nick dropped a cup while he was shouting at Chivers, but he didn't really mean to do it. I remember standing in the dressing room thinking, Bill Nick is the cha- I was the only person in the dressing room not in the team or on the pitch. I thought, if there's an awful scene and an awful row, he'll suddenly say, out. And it took me back to six years later when I was doing the Beatles book. And I was in Abbey Road and I inveigled myself, or is it inveigled myself, into Abbey Road. And I was in the bottom of Abbey Road listening to all them, Sergeant Pepper and Emma. And what happened in Abbey Road is that down in the bowels of the studio was the four Beatles and the two roadies. If friends came in, they were upstairs, high up, behind a glass panel with George Martin and the techies. And if Mick Jagger came or the wives came, they sat up behind the glass panel. I remember thinking the same thought with the Beatles, sitting down below, if John and Paul were having aggravation. I thought, as I thought in the Spurs dressing room, if I get chucked out of Abbey Road, and if I get chucked out of White Hart Lane, the book will never happen. I will have to apologise to my publisher, but I will have the thrill of my two passions in life, football and Beatles, of being there. 
and I will not feel my time is wasted. But in both occasions, the book came out. But was it but, difficult... I'm sorry, Michael, if I can oh. ask you, was it difficult to be invisible? Because if you're, oh. a, if you're such a fan, and then you're... <laughs> the only other you're, person addressing me. I know, you're, you you're there, and then you've got to think, hang on, I've got to check pad. myself. Yeah. Because if you are part of them, surely they treated you that way, didn't they? When I was interviewing all the Spurs players, and I went to all their homes... And when I was interviewing the Beatles and went to their homes, I'd be writing down in my little notebook everything he said. But if I was in a group situation, like the Sergeant Pepper cover photograph, or in the studio, I would not write anything down. I would meld it in the background, be a fly on the wall, because I didn't want to appear an interloper writing down all their bad language or rows. And so if it was a group situation, I would then come home... And in those days, I often stayed at well, three minutes till ten. <laughs> <laughs> and I would sit down really and I would write, write down as quickly as possible everything that happened that evening. I've still got what happened on the Sergeant Pepper cover evening. I have my rubbish notes, which include, during the whole of the evening, Hitler was there and so was Jesus. Because they had cutouts of Hitler and Jesus and at the last minute, EMI and all the heavies there said, don't put them in the cover, get rid of it. But as a Spurs fan, because you've been going since 1960... You're not interested in the Beatles, Well, I am, but you know, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to bring you back to Spurs. Yeah. Um, this was 1972. So you've been going to Spurs now for 12 years, yeah. OK? And you're there in the, in, the thing, in, in the dressing room with all the players and kicking the ball about with them. Yeah. You said you're only 30. Can't believe it. Were you worried, though, that you might upset someone in the book... And yeah, we did when the book came out. Can I just jump one thing? So when I'm doing this book and I'm still playing football with the dad's team on the Heath, and one of my friends, who's still one of my friends, is an LSE lecturer. And I'm telling him, and he's a Spurs fan, and so is his son. His son is Dan Carrier, who run, writes, who's a Spurs reporter for the... Camden New Journal. Does anybody live in North London? No. Mostly. <laughs> anyway, John said to me, you've got the most amazing access to a sporting group of people at the top of their powers. You should not waste this. You should, and he sat down and said, you should ask them about their newspaper reading. You should ask them about their politics. You should ask them about their domestic life. You should ask them about their education and their plans for the future. You should do... Because I was interviewing all 17 of them in a group and also one by one in their home. And I would write it down. So I did all that and I did it at the time thinking, if I haven't got enough copy, I'll fill it up. And those surveys at the end of the book, which go on for pages and pages, are actually the best read thing. And over the decades, I've had PhD students in sports science from every country in the world saying, can I use your format? Do you mind if I lift it and put it against Japanese basketball players? Can I put it against American, I don't know, Canadian ice hockey thing? And I didn't... It was just chance that I did that, and I did it for... You you didn't know at the time, though. Obviously, I, I yeah. reread. I mean, I've read the book many times. Yeah. I reread it a few weeks ago. At the time, you didn't realise that Bill Nick, the double team, going on through till you know '63. You mentioned, yeah. you know, few injuries came in '67. This was almost like his second team. He was rebuilding. Mm. Gilzine, Chivers, you know, Knowles, all these players coming in, and obviously luck when you wrote the book. You know, you've captured the second great Bill Nick team, the, 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 the season you wrote the book, yeah. we won our second European trophy. Two seasons later, um, two seasons, nothing. Bill Nick's resigned. We had the and, uh, God, Terry Neal I was so lucky and, in two I ways. mean, that's how badly it went. You could have had, you could have had Terry Neal in 76 or, or the year we went down. I had two it's amazing incredible you got that season. One is getting in. And nobody's had that access anywhere in the world Ever. to... Yeah a top football team, or any top sports team. Well, the book, well, my publisher commissioned the book, and he wasn't a football fan. The big worry was that nobody outside Tottenham would want to buy it. 
and I had to tell the salespeople and the, the suits. It's actually, I had the same trouble with the Beatles. I had to say to them, it's not really about the Spurs team. It's about a group of football players at the height of their powers. And of course that came to pass because it was in Norwegian and Danish and it's still in print in America, even though poor old Cyril Knowles is dead. It's all moved on. The Spurs show is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. And we're back. But you, you mentioned, obviously, which was, was, was very nice of you, that you, yeah. you, know, you effectively said you'd cut all the players into you know, profits yeah. or, or whatever. Which players can you remember, did you sort of... I mean, you were the same age as them, so I mean, that obviously helped. Which players than... did you get on well with and which players were slightly reserved? My best friend. Standoffish. My best... I was friendly with them all. One of the... Looking back, one of the most amazing things from 19, I can't remember the year, 70, was going to Mike, Mike England's house. In the dressing room, they thought he was a lump and his nickname behind his back was Brains because they didn't think he was brainy. It was so stupid because he was sort of deliberate and slow. And he, But he had an architect design house. He was the only one living a middle-class lifestyle. The rest were in jumped-up sales managers' houses, and that was how... And I went to a party at Mike England's house, I think this is in the book, in which Olivia Newton-John was there. <laughs> I thought, bloody hell, how has he met her? But my best friend in the team, and I'm still a very good friend with him, and later on I did his own ghosted... Lifestyle was Joe Kinnear. Oh, little Joe. Yeah. And the reason why I became friendly with Joe was that by absolute chance I'd met his, I think he was married to his wife, Bonnie. Right. You might not believe it now, but both Joe and I were trendy people in the 60s, 70s. <laughs> Joe was so slim and so sleek. <laughs> now look at him. And so was I. I'm still slim and sleek. And his wife, Bonnie, had a very trendy boutique in Hampstead High Street just up from the, uh, the tube station. Right. And I used to frequent that because I was too lazy to go to Carnaby Street. Right. And so I actually, <laughs> by chance, knew his girlfriend. Right. And when that came out, Joe became... And Joe was not married, whereas... It's in the book. He's one of the bachelors in the book. He was a bachelor. He was a bachelor, but that was his girlfriend. Mm. Whereas Mike England and Martin Peters, all the other. They had f wives and families, and Pat Jennings had a wife and family. So Joe was my... I think I tell lies in the book. One of the things I was really proud of in the book was that I analysed, during that year, every goal. Every goal that Spurs scored, I decided to categorise it. This was my own idea. I can't remember what I did, but... A solo, brilliant goal. You know what? Uh, the whole world of football is obsessed by stats today. And nobody's actually analysed how goals are scored. So I thought of five categories. I can't know what they were. A solo goal, a team goal, a practice goal. And I'd seen them in training, so I, know what, I knew what a practice goal was. A dead ball goal and a scramble. So I did all that. And... Two or three games I missed. I didn't go to Iceland. I went to Nantes. Mm. I went to Milan. I went to wherever. Bucharest, I think. There's I went really, to Bucharest. Really brilliant stuff. So I missed one, two or three games because I was married with children. We had dramas in my own life. And so I'd ring up Joe when he got back and said, Joe, how did the game go? Can you talk me through that goal? Because I've got to categorise it. So Joe was my friend. And Joe lived in Watford with his... Was he still living with his mum? I can't remember. So Joe was my particular chum. But I like to think I got on But it's interesting that season because that 72, that was, you know, the, 
Don Revy and, and Leeds, and I think we went out in the FA Cup. There's a whole thing about going out to yeah. Leeds, but it, it, we won the UEFA Cup. Leeds, and were you've brilliant. got what a good team! Yeah, they were. but you've got Bucharest, which Nicholson it's quite oh, controversial yeah. at the time. He said they were dirty. Um, I don't know the the words, of Bucharest, but he basically, yeah, he basically sort of said the dirtiest games he's ever seen. And we've had certain oh, films out of the country. We've had country, players on the Spurs it? show. I remember going to Martin school. Chivers, Jennings. They've all said to us on this show. That was the dirtiest game I've ever been in. What was I'm, your memory? Because you, my memory you, were of on the, you were on the bu- bench with them. My memory of Bucharest is in the hotel. And we couldn't believe this. Prostitutes were walking up and down the corridor, allowed by the hotel. They were part of the hotel. They weren't just sort of pushing themselves in. And you could put a prostitute on your bill. <laughs> and Where is this exactly? <laughs> Bucharest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was East European, and they were desperate for any money. And I, I remember one of the, I think he's dead now, oh God, one of the, I went, I, the press were there as well, and there was this famous reporter, the biggest voice in sport, who wrote for The Sun. I can't remember his name, 72. So all night wrong, he was putting these prostitutes... <laughs> And he couldn't, and he'd had so much to drink, he couldn't perform with any of them. So they had the best night of their lives, they had no work to do, and made a fortune. <laughs> I'll tell you his name. No! No, 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 and it was, I'd never been to communist countries before, neither had they. And it was so policed, the buildings were so horrible, there was no food, the people were so poor. It was such a, a culture shock mm. to go there. One of the sad things about that year, and with all footballers, and I've interviewed lots of footballers, is that they've no idea where they are, they've no idea of the country. They've no idea, they've got no interest in going to see the sights. Somebody like Jurgen Klinsmann, Klinsmann was an anomaly in football because he was so cultured and outgoing. Most foreign footballers are. And he was, he, instead of going out the suburbs, he lived in the middle of Hampstead. And he went to all the... Gavros. He went to all these smart restaurants. He went to the British Museum. He experienced it, but... English footballers, alas, I used to say to Wayne, you'd be a much better footballer if you left Man United. You would have a new experience, a new coach, a new language to learn, a new training, and it would really pep you up. Oh, I love Man United. I'm going to be captain. And of course, they're so cosseted. Mm. Whereas the foreign players, but English players are so... They're not stupid. Gazza's a very intelligent person. So I tell you my Gaza. Please, we we yeah. all love Gaza here. We'd love to hear a Gaza story. So I did the Gaza book. I spent a year with him, which was... What year was this? Do you remember? I can't remember. I don't remember Was, he, was it Spurs or post-Spurs? Last week, last week. <laughs> it was post-Spurs. No, it was post-Spurs. He was technically playing for... Was he manager of Burton Albion for half an hour? Then he went to China for half an hour. Right. He yeah. retired. He just retired from Everton when I picked him up. And he would disappear for two or three months to go to rehab in Arizona. And he would do all these things. What was he going to tell you? You were going to tell us a Gaza story. Yeah, but what, which one was it? Oh, yeah, how clever he was. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I, spent, I spent a year with him. When I first went to see him, Gaza had signed a contract with Headline for a huge amount of money, and he'd not done the book. They prov- this was when he was still at the height of his powers. First of all, his agent was going to do it, and it fell out. And then a well-known journalist was going to do it, and this well-known journalist was a reformed alcoholic, and on the first meeting, he said to Gaza, you've got to try. And Gaza chucked him out. So this publisher, my friend, had become boss of Headline. 
and my friend, a woman, found they paid 700,000 quid advanced to Gaza three years ago and they had no copy, no book. <laughs> and he was still playing, so she rang me up and said, would you like to do Gaza? I said, no. I'd just done Dwight York. Remember Dwight York? Yeah, yeah. And that was a nightmare, absolute <laughs> nightmare, for reasons I will tell you. But you... I said, no, I'm not doing any more footballers. So I turned it down. And six months later, she rang me again and said, we failed to get anybody that Gaza likes. Uh, will you at least meet him? So I went to Heathrow, where he and Jimmy Five Bellies, remember Jimmy Five Bellies? Mm-hmm. Were both pissed out of their heads. <laughs> and he was about to go to China because he, he'd signed a contract to go to China. And my problem with Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwight. 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 <laughs> Dwight was that Dwight's a very clever, fluent, confident, intelligent person, but totally buttoned up. He wouldn't tell me anything. He wouldn't reveal anything about himself. He wouldn't. He let me down and wouldn't turn up. So I, so I said to Gaza, look, if I do this book, you've got to be honest with me. I won't, if you don't want it in the book, I will cut it out. But you've got to tell me everything. You mustn't dissemble. It'll just be so awkward. And he started telling me about a Jimmy Five Belly story when he was in Milan, not Milan, Lazio. playing for Lazio in Turin. Rome. 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 Oh, my God. He said, Jimmy came out to stay with me, and I knew he'd arrive starving, so I had a shit, <laughs> and I took the turd out, and I put it inside a roll, and I put it in the freezer like a sort of a hot dog. So Jimmy, Jimmy arrives and says, I'm starving, Paul. What have you got? Oh, I might have. Just have a look in the freezer. There might be. <laughs> might be. God, jeez. <laughs> so he told me that. I said, Paul, we can't use that. <laughs> too, too appalling. But I said, I'll do the book. So, if, if only Dwight York had a story like that, it would have been so much better. <laughs> Because it's you, you know the story about about uh, Eric Torsford's gloves. That's the no. Tell me. Well, it's not it's not far away from the hot dog. To be honest with you, <laughs> that's all I can that's all I can say. So, and then he was chased oh, around. Oh, tell for me. Well, well, now you're pretty much on the money there. You can imagine right. what was in Eric Torsford's gloves <laughs> as he put them on while well, training. And who, Gaza put them there. Yeah, yeah. Well, he put what was I in the, the gloves there. But Gaza, at training at Cheshire, bought a rifle one, a rifle in one day, a shotgun, and made Gaza during five bellies during training stand behind the girls with his arse bare. And Gaza used to shoot at him with the, oh during the break with his, his shotgun. <laughs> the whole thing is totally bizarre and mad. Um, happy days of football. Happy days. That's why it sold 400,000 copies. Yeah, yeah. The great thing about the book is, is almost how football has changed, the business of football. Oh, you can't the believe it. The players, Paul, 200 quid a week. I, I mean, it's just oh. unbelievable. Do you, th- you know, apart from that, obviously the earning of players, what players earn now, apart from financially, what else do you think has changed in football since that the, book? The Peaches. When I was a lad... At this time of the year, the pitches were becoming cloggy. There was no drainage, and the whole of winter, they were playing in a quagmire, which slowed everything down. So that's the first thing, the pitches are brilliant. The stadiums, I don't miss the terraces, lovely though we are. I got pissed on so many times by people standing... Literally pissed on? Oh, yeah. No, because it was Spurs... Uh, Reminds the old Wembley Stadium that was used to have it was a cut at the park lane end. Really, you, can't you use couldn't the escape. Yeah. There was little barriers, and you know what it was like. And yeah. they pushed forward, and there was people selling peanuts, almost throwing it over. And if you move forward, the more you eat, the more you score. And people couldn't get the lavatory, and if you they pissed yeah. in front of you, and it was yeah. dribbling, that was a yeah. So the stadiums are so much better, and I've got to think that the quality and technique of the players has improved and it's partly because I hate to admit it the foreign players coming here 
They're much more sensible. Their diet's better. They're not dopey. And they have got great skill. It's a f- the bad side of that is that the England team is rubbish because players can't come through. So on the whole, and I've got to admit, even though I hate Sky Television, television compared with a football compared with the 1970s, we only got one live game a year, which is the FA Cup final or England-Scotland. But today, it's incredible. I think it's actually, this is sacrilege, I'd rather watch a game on television than in the flesh. No. It's because I, getting the Spurs, I lose four hours of my life getting that. And I've been there and I know the atmosphere. Obviously the atmosphere is better and, it's politi- and it ruins my lunch or my supper and it ruins... So television's better, the pictures are better, the players are better. Is it more exciting? Television makes it more exciting. I actually watched the other week, I was at, the, I was at Wembley in 1966 for the World Cup final. And I watched the game recently on black and white television. Somebody gave it to me for my birthday. And I was amazed how brilliant Bobby Charlton was, how good the passing was, how clever the defence was. They were not rubbish. I got into my mind, because I actually think one of my mantras in life is that life is getting better. Health is better, education's better, social security is better, everything's better. And I actually believe that. Obviously, there's lots of handicaps. And I always say football's getting better, but watching the World Cup final, England were absolutely brilliant, and so were Germany. They were a little bit slower, and the ball is obviously harder to kick because it's a leather dead ball. But it, it was it's funny you mentioned slower because, again, I read the book last week, yeah. and what I did immediately was go to YouTube to watch certain goals that you talk about in the book. The one I couldn't find anywhere was the second leg against Milan. Obviously, Perriman scored the two goals. I think we were goal down 2-1. And I think it was Mullery, Mullery. scored a wonder goal away. Yeah. Couldn't find that anywhere. But again, I re-watched it. We've all watched it so many times, the Wolves' final. You're talking about being slower. You, you look else. at those goals, look at those two cheapest goals. It could be a goal you see, you yeah. know, this weekend... On match the day, yeah. they were just stunning. I can, I can and he you. got kind of sorry, sorry, just yeah, of course. He got a, you know, it was very interesting. He was about players. Chivers gets not from you, but from Nicholson and Eddie Bailey and whatever. He gets a slating in your book as I, being lazy, doesn't do enough for the training, and yet he was the player, was top scorer. I don't think it was amazing. That I season. don't think Mike. I said that. Not you, but the other but, people, but Bailey, Bill Nicholson, Nicholson the, you reported. his cross in life was Chivers, because he loved Chivers, thought he was the most brilliant player, but he thought that Chivers didn't knock himself out enough. It reminds me of Lukaku today. They've got a similar build, they're a big burly centre-forward, but Lukaku in his earlier years would sort of vaguely cut off and not knock himself out, would not play well against the lower. Bill Nick got into his head that Chivers would not would turn it on for England, but not for Spurs, which was daft. But those stars in 1972 will get in the England team today. Chivers will get in, Peters was already in, Gilly will get into any team, because he was... He was... Uh, actually, I can't think of a comparable player to Gilly today. Berbatov in the, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, of language. So skillful. Language style. Mullery, even Mullery would get him because what England is lacking really and most of all Arsenal's lacking is a really strong midfield player. Jennings obviously, Jennings. Jennings would definitely get him. What about Phil Beale? What about Phil? Phil was uh, a championship player, a lovely man and he was uh, a journeyman player which really Joe was and Ray Ray Evans Evans was. And Terry Nella, these are the peripheral players which all teams need. Would, what was the question? Well, you're talking about good English yeah. players that, that could have done. I mean, Phil Beale was, he, oh, he yeah, was better than that, don't you think? I don't think Phil Beale would have got an England team. He's a lovely man. He's now working at London Airport. Last time I met him doing Heathrow taxis. And 
No, he wouldn't have got into the England team. And I don't actually think he would get into today's team. We've got midfield, defensive midfielders who are better than him. But was there, did you really feel it like a Spurs fan when you're working amongst them? Did you uh, go crazy? I mean, you talk about the fact it might be more exciting watching on TV. See, I still can't believe that. No, that you truly feel that when it's your team part, scores a goal part, and you're amongst the crowd. It's partly to do with age. I can't face the aggravation of getting to the game. <laughs> and I've spent a fortune on all these satellite things. And in the evening particularly, I had a lovely supper and drunk a huge amount. <laughs> so the idea... And also, whatever happens, I'm not back at five. So you're like ten. a real Spurs fan, you really <laughs> are. <laughs> are, you, are you having anything to do with the, the museum? Because I know the museum... Oh, the museum. Uh, ten years ago, I went to the Spurs shareholders meeting and Daniel Levy told us about the new, the new stadium... And we all heard it for the first time. And I stood up and said, when you, Mr. Levy, when you have this museum, <laughs> I've ruined the story, when you have this new stadium, which we'd heard about, we didn't know it was correct, I said, will you have a museum in it? Last week I went to Old Trafford, and Old Trafford's got a museum, and last year Old Trafford made £1 million from that museum with no capital outlay and one person taking the tickets. Music Will you do it? Yeah. And he was caught on the hop but being a Cambridge graduate, he was very fluent, and said, oh, oh, good idea, we'll think about it. Six months ago, I was rung up by John Fennelly, who was the Spurs PR and then head of books, and he's still... And... I'd said to John many years ago, I've got 2,000 items of Spurs memorabilia. 2,000. Yeah, have you? Yeah. I've got programmes going back to 1910. I've got Spurs photographs. I've got Spurs... I've got all the... What are they called? Yearbooks. Are they called yearbooks? Yeah. Annuals. End of season yearbooks, yeah. And they cost a fortune, the very early ones. So I've got this amazing collection... And I've got letters from Bill Nicholson. I've got the famous Ponzi book called the Spurs. You know, the one the size of this room. Oh, the Opus. The Opus. The Opus. I've got yeah. that. I did the, the first 5,000 words in that, and I got a free copy of it. So I've got this amazing collection of Spurs stuff, because I love Spurs dearly. And I've got... Your kids go, you're going to pass... You've got, you know, you've got, you've got no, my, so, my Do they go to Spurs? Are my they... son is a turtle Spurs nut. Oh, OK. And for many... For 20, 30 years, I used to go to Arsenal every second week. I had half a season taken. And he said, you're giving money to the scum? I said, no, I'm not. I'm giving it to a friend whose son is at college. And I've got... Because I wanted to go to a game every... So I've got this collection. And so I said to John... I would like to donate it to the Spurs Museum because they're having a museum. And a woman arrived from Manchester. It's a, it's a very interesting situation. Spurs have sublet the creation of a museum to a company, you can't believe this, who are in Manchester and they have a staff of eight and their full-time job is creating sporting museums around the world. That's all they do. They physically... And philosophically, so create, it should be quite decent then. Hopefully, they, they create, they create the, a signed Pele photograph yeah. in there. But they've got to source it and create the because it's all. So the woman came to see me. I showed her my memorabilia, and she said, "We'd love to have it, and we'd love to do a video of you talking about your, and we'd love to have all your." And I said, "Fine, I don't want any money." But I would like two season tickets <laughs> in the new stadium yeah. for life or longer. Yeah, but you're not going to watch it because you'll be watching on the telly. <laughs> Fat chance. Anybody want to borrow them? Fat chance. I've got lots of grandchildren. <laughs> no, I would go yeah. for romantic. So she loves it. It's been put to Daniel Levy, 
and John is all for it, but they haven't said yes. And I'm about to say to Spurs, who are a very rich club, why should I give them off nothing? Of because my stuff is probably worth 100,000. Why should I give them two tickets for 10 years, say, would be cost, what, I don't know, 20,000 in the new stadium? So I'm going to give them till the day it opens. And if they won't do the deal, it's all going to Sotheby's. So if you want to make an offer for it, you can. But I hope they will, because I want it all to be kept together in the Spurs Museum. Well, what's your most prized possession amongst those? Oh. oh what is it? Are there shirts? What have you, is it I don't have stuff for the Glory game? I or? never collect shirts. Have you got hey. a first edition of the Glory game? That's, that's the, probably the one that everybody's I've got it signed. Yeah. First edition of the Glory game by the whole the first team pool. I never collect shirts. A, there is no content in a shirt. I collect programmes and uh, magazines and newspapers because you can read things, but a shirt has got no content. Secondly, how can you display it? I've got a very big house, 15 storeys in North London. (laughs) (laughs) And thirdly, most of the signed shirts are a total con. I once went to see, I hate to mention his name, George Graham. And by mistake... Wait, what is the trophy? <laughs> when, he was, when he was the manager of Spurs. Yeah. You can't believe it for two minutes. And by mistake, I knocked at the wrong door and walked in, and his secretary was sitting there with a large pile of Spurs shirts, and in front of her, like this, in 24-point Bodoni bold, was the autographs of every Spurs first-team player. And she was sitting with a large felt pen, signing all day long every shirt. No. And they were going to hospitals, they were going to charities. But if you it's think about bi- it... It's a big business. If it you think about it, today, why would a player getting a million pounds a minute mm-hmm. get off his arse and sign a shirt? Well, I remember signing so a guy who works in memorabilia. Yeah. And when Steve Jab was at Liverpool, and again, he was given a big wadge of money just to sign stuff. And he took the money, didn't even look at it, Mm. and just drove out of the training ground, went to the nearest betting office, went in and just got the wadge of money, went, put this on the next race, the favourite, didn't even look, no interest, signed whatever he had to sign for a half hour, 40 minutes, went back in, didn't win, no, it came forth, and just went home. The money was irrelevant. It just meant mm. nothing. It's only the old players now, when you've I mean, all got the stuff from the yeah. 60s, double teams, 70s, 80s. Well, they get paid a fee. Any Premier League player, they don't need the money to sign this stuff anymore. I don't, Lee. I don't. I'm not upset. I think Harry Kane is badly paid compared with Man City and Chelsea and Man United star. I, I don't honestly think, when you think how much Sky is paying for the rights, the Premier League, I hate the Premier League, there's so much money swilling around and they've got a short life and you think of the university vice-chancellors who are making all this money doing nothing. You think of all the chief executives. You think of QCs who are in it for life. I actually don't... I'm not upset by footballers making billions. What upsets me is the agents getting 50% and I'm upset by the transfer fees. That is totally obscene and he's mad, and he's going to ruin football unless it... But the players' salaries, I think, good on them. Let's bring it forward, because right. you've told us earlier what time you go to bed. Um, <laughs> very, very quickly, bring it forward I've now. I've got my dramas. Exactly. <laughs> how good do you think the current team is? I mean, you've been following Spurs since 1960 now, you know. Yeah. How good do you think this current team is? Do you think they can actually achieve and win something? Uh, hmm. I want to see how Lanzarote gets on. He's not called Lanzarote. Lanzarote. Yeah. I want to see how Sanchez gets on. I want to see if those people are improving the team. Jansen was a terrible mistake. Mauricio has made as many mistakes as they all do. And I feel deep down, obviously, they've been miles above Arsenal. I think that Chelsea and Man City, not Man United, have got stronger first team pools of 19 than Spurs I'm I'm not a fan of Ben Davis is he called Ben Davis? yes I I think I think he's a lump 
He's a vital player. <laughs> Trippier had a brilliant season last season, which is why they sold Carl Walker. So I think they'll be... I hope they'll be second again, runner-up. And you know this new theory that runner-ups are actually top. Runner-ups are better than first. Because first, in any competition, it's luck and chance. Whereas the runners-up are the really excellent consistency. Well, we all want to see a trophy. Like. <laughs> so you I know. think they're up there. And I think for, I spent most of my Spurs life following a middling club who are middling good. And year after year, from 1965 onwards, they ended up eighth. And then they went down one season. So we're in the glory days again, because I can't see with the present manager and the present pool them ever, for the near future, being out the top four. But are they winners? Well, we hope so. Well, very quickly. Um, but they'll be ahead of Arsenal. Well, let's, let's <laughs> hope so. You've got a new book out, a new book of memoirs, A Life in the Day. Oh, I thought words, you'd never get round to it. Well, I've, I've got around to it. You know, Life in the Day, Day in the Life, band you've always been linked yeah. to. Um, so follow up from your first book Carp Scott Bananas which took the read about your life up to 1960 for enough, the year you started following Spurs yeah. how long were you thinking of doing this follow up, follow up and, and, and what made it come about now the book that just out yeah. it was part two of my memoirs which covers the last 40 years from 60 to last year to my wife dying so I talk about how I did the Beatles book I talk about the glory game was the background to that and I talk about my family and then my wife gets poorly so there won't be a dry eye in the house but it's a real 60s book because in the 60s I was interviewing all these famous that was my job so I wasn't their best friends that was what I did like any sort of job so people who remember the 60s or the 70s or whatever do you remember last week it's, <laughs> it's all there what I want to do now, and I'm waiting to get it commissioned, that book covered 40 years, the previous book covered 40 years, and I want to do a book that only covers a year, and in my mind, it will be called Being 80. And I want to write because, with a bit of luck, all you people here this evening, if you don't drink any more wine, and give up the girls, and give up the... I hope you all live to 80. It's, well, my it's common. Here. My father's he's 80. Uh, he's 80. He's done so it's common. He looks very fit. Yeah. I thought it was your brother. <laughs> <laughs> so it's commonplace. So that's what I want to do next. Yeah. I want to do well, another. Well, please, I mean, again, it mentions the, the Glory Game and the stories behind it. Please go out and get the life of the day. The Glory Game you is know. still in print. Yes. How, how, many, how many reprints? Do you know? No idea. Yeah. As I said earlier, it's still in print in all these different countries. The present edition is still in print and it's incredibly cheap because I've updated the beginning. And, yeah, I've got it, yeah. It's great. And it's only something like nine quid. Yeah. But they've dropped all the photographs. The photos, I know. I, I reported it recently. And we had, the photos have gone on the new edition. The photographs were brilliant because pictures. I dragged my photographer friend, Frank Herman, into the dressing room mm. with me as we got in. Yeah. And I have on my wall at home a brilliant photograph of the, all the players naked in the White Hart Lane dressing room. And you can see Joe Kinnear with his pubic hair sitting there. We couldn't use it. So every girl that comes to see me, I say, would you like some, they say, a naked footballer? These people, yeah. <laughs> so I take them to my wall and let them see it. Amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. It's, you know, we've been trying to get a hunt on the show for, for many, many years. It was the only one when you were living in Carlisle actually wrote a handwritten letter posted saying, I'd love to, but I'm in Carlisle. So it's, it's an absolute right. joy and honour to have you here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Hunter Davis.
This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net. The Spurs Show is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. Give software vendor audits the red card by signing up the Livingstone Managed Service Team right away. Call 0203 817 4880 or visit livingstone-tech.com to find out how. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.